Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. You know, each day on the I Work For Him show, we focus our discussions on things that will challenge you to change the way you think about workplace ministry and your life in Christ. Today is no different. Today we're talking about, show me how to share Christ in the workplace. We've got Dr. Larry Moyer joining, for, joining us for this discussion. He's written an incredible book, uh, exactly titled just that. Show me how to share Christ in the workplace. You know, Mark sixteen fifteen says, and then he told him, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Dr. Larry Moyer, great to have you on the I Work For Him show today. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. You know, when I was, when I was read, I actually found your book, I don't know, a distributor told me about it or something, I'm like, wow, how about a practical guide on how to show people how to share Christ in the workplace? It's just so fantastic. It was just very, very simple, very, very practical. And that's what I wanted to bring you on the show today because you're very passionate about sharing Christ in the workplace, and I love that. Well, thank you. I believe that's such a tremendous opportunity. Billy Graham is called the workplace, the next movement of God in America. And they are having so many opportunities in the workplace today. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, and he said that so many years ago. I wonder what he'd say today, because the movement, the movement today is so much bigger. I was talking with a guy, uh, two different people in the last couple of days on how big that movement is. And, and, and it is, it's at a place today where it is no longer a weird idea to maybe 25% of Christians that their workplaces are mission field. There's still 75% of them that don't know it, but at least some have heard it. 
So it's pretty cool. Hey, you know, Larry, before we get started with the conversation, I really want my listeners, as I do on with every guest, I want them to hear how Christ is making an impact on your life today. I appreciate that. I came to Christ, uh, uh, I was raised in a dairy farm in Pennsylvania, and I came to Christ uh, through the sports of hunting, Jim. Uh, uh, my dad said we worked all year, and November came, we got a month off to go hunting. And as I looked to the creation, I was convinced I'd be a creator, and God took me to Christ. I mean, I went from the creation, the creator to Christ. And from the day I was saved, the one thing I wanted to do would be an evangelist. And the respect of my life today, there's nothing I love more than just talk to people about Christ and training believers how to do the same. And our ministry has so grown now that everything coming to our office says that every single minute, three and a half people, someone in the world are hearing the gospel. That is all of our ministry. Three and a half people, someone in the world, every minute are hearing the gospel. So where did the passion come from, though, for evangelism? Because not everybody is passionate about it. I mean, you, you experience the, you know, the creation while you're out hunting in November every, every year, but where did that passion come for evangelism? Were you exposed to a, a great evangelist? Is that what inspired you? No, I think uh, when I came to Christ, God really burdened me through 2 Timothy 4 5 through the work of an evangelist that he wanted me to give my life to that full time. And I think a lot of it was the fact he gave me the gift of evangelism. I think that was a big part of it, Jim. But also, the more I grew in the Lord, the first thing you ever taught disciples was evangelism. Follow me, I'll make you pictures of men. And when you stop and think about it, the only thing you can take with you to heaven is a friend. The only thing you can take with you to heaven is a friend. When you pull all that together, how can you not have a burden just to see a lot of people come to Christ? Mm. I mean, it's the one thing that your life can out to make your life count for something that will outlast it. No, I, I sort of agree with you, but I disagree with you at a certain point because the only, I believe we take two things with us to heaven. One, we take all the people that we've led to Christ, yes, with the friends, but we take our already established relationship with our Heavenly Father with us. That goes with us. We get to take both. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Definitely, I would agree. And, 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 I, and I, I speak of somebody outside your relationship with Christ. No, I understand. Yeah, I would agree. I understand, but I, I want people to recognize because a lot of people think, well, I don't get to take anything with me. They're like, yes, you do. The whole idea of your, of your life here on earth is that the the relationship you've already established with your Heavenly Father, you get to take that with you. That comes with you. That's the beauty of this time on earth is that we are establishing a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father and when we get to be in His presence, we already will know Him. Now, we will, we will get to know Him a lot better, but we already know Him and that's exciting. Yeah, I think a lot of people have the idea that Jimmy, eternal life begins when you die. It actually begins the moment you trust Christ. Uh, you begin to live forever. And when I grew in the world, I mean, God just gave me a passion for the law. He said, where did it come from? I read the day the Lord just gave it to me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, you know, you, I, just a curious question. It says your bio, your bio mentions your involvement with Word of Life in Florida and New York. And, of course, Word of Life Florida is only 50 minutes from here. I mean, actually, from where the studio is, we're actually less than 50 minutes, except during traffic time. How did you, where did that connection come from? And I'll, and I'll tell you my curiosity. Jack Hayford led my father to Christ. At the, Word oh, really? of, at the Word of Life in New York, uh, 65, uh, 55 years ago. Great. Uh, I was asked to speak at a Founders Conference in New York in two, the year 2000. Uh, and right back to the year 1999, 1998, I was asked to speak at a Founders Conference. And Joe Jordan, who was president at the time, mm -hmm. then asked me, would you begin teaching part-time for Word of Life in New York and Florida? And that's where it came from. As a result, by speaking at Founders Conference, they asked me if I come back and teach part-time. They like to have people out there doing it, coming in teaching students how to do it. And so every fall, I train just under 500 students, both in the New York and the Florida campus. 
So you're keeping it practical, tactical, factual, and biblical as you're teaching them, though, right? I mean, because that's really the that's the key to this whole thing is we got to teach them, we got to teach them the practical, and we got to teach them the tactical because there's there's a tactic on how you approach people with Christ that is the better reception, and and, and then the the factual part of it all, and then the biblical part of it. That's what you're doing. If if it's anything like your videos, that's what you're doing. Yes, the two reasons people don't talk to those about Christ is they're afraid and they don't know how. It's not they don't want to, they're afraid they don't know how. So everything about our ministry centers on those two issues, fear and not knowing how. So how did you come to write this book? I mean, show me how to share Christ in the workplace. How did you, I mean, if you've always been in ministry, now, which is a workplace. I mean, and, and there's a lot of people that are non-Christ followers that come to work in Christian ministries, but where did that perspective come from? Why did, how did God lead you to write that book? Uh, I got my doctor ministry degree from Gordon Conwell in Boston on Christianity in the workplace. Really? And that really impacted my life. I studied under Dr. Hannah Robinson, and that really impacted my life. And as I was studying, I really became so convinced that everyone in the workplace is a full-time ministry. But when I worked to look, look at workplace books, somebody told them, well, you got to have integrity, you got to have sincerity, you know, all that kind of thing. I had people say to me, I know all that stuff. But I don't know how to turn a conversation spiritual things. I don't know how to share Christ. So it burdened me to write a how-to book in terms of evangelism in the workplace. Because I saw so many books that dealt with integrity and all that, which people knew. How, how can you be a good witness? You don't have integrity. But they still did not know how to present the gospel to their co-workers. And so I really became burdened to write a how-to book that was theologically correct, biblically accurate, and practically clear. Mm, I like that. I like that. So, but, you know, I never even heard that there was a doctorate in uh, on Christianity in the workplace. That's fantastic. I'd never heard of that before. So I just learned something new on the I Work Room show, which is good because I learn something new all the time. So... The you know most pastors when they're uh, they've got a congregation most pastors across our United States have not yet grasped grasped onto the idea that every person in their congregation is a missionary and that no matter where they go on Monday morning they're a missionary and that they're a missionary to their workplace their workplaces are mission field how did how did that concept I mean you didn't just choose you know randomly uh, Christianity in the workplace as a doctorate how did God inspire you to recognize that well I saw people you know when you travel as much as I do uh, Jim you already get perspective I spoke in almost every state over 60 foreign locations and you really get perspective I observed many things. I observed workers that were looking at their jobs as full-time ministry. They were having a tremendous impact for Christ. Uh, as much as any pastor would in a church or anything else, they were having a tremendous impact. Secondly, when I looked in the Bible, I saw people they refers to, and it talks to them about being anointed of God right in the workplace. So I thought, well, you know, God anoints people right in the workplace to, to uh, be a witness for Christ. And the other thing I've observed that was a little bit of a concern to me, I observed there was a bit of tension among people uh, towards pastors and churches who felt they did not look at them, them as being in, the, in full-time ministry. They felt they were because they were pastoring the church, but they did not feel they looked at them as though they were, the worker. And there was a real tension there, and that was brought up in our class, that there's a tension between people in the workplace who feel that ministerial people in full-time vocational ministry do not see these people as in full-time ministry. I thought that's that's unfortunate tension, and 
It's just not true. They are full-time ministry. Uh, I, just because the, I, I agree. Because the seminary or Bible college doesn't mean they've not been to full-time not full-time industry. Well, and in fact, that's what the Reformation was all about. And, that, and I was reading a book recently by a guy named Hugh Welshel uh, from the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, and he spelled that all out. Let's get right back into it, Dr. Moyer. Here's the question, Larry, that I've got for you. As you're teaching those 500 students at Word of Life uh, Bible College or Word of Life Bible Institute down here in Hudson, Florida, and up there in, in uh, Shroon Lake, New York, how have you built into your teaching that biblical worldview about the workplace that they will someday enter? How, how do you encourage people to actually shift their paradigm to recognize that because they're not hearing it in the average church? No, I explain to them that when you look in the scriptures, anyone who's living for Christ is in full-time ministry, and I even point out to them in Exodus 31, verses 1 to 3, you have a man in the workplace of whom it says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. And they are a craftsman, not a preacher, who is filled with the Spirit of God. But living proof that when somebody serving Christ in the workplace, they are in full-time ministry. Then when you go to places like Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your body as a living sacrifice. Anyone who presents your body a living sacrifice is in full-time ministry, regardless if they're behind a pauper or not. Mm. I, I, mean, I I agree. What 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 is a struggle for me is how to figure out how to encourage pastors and it, it, across the nation to recognize that and to not be you know they, a lot of pastors struggle. They don't necessarily understand business, so therefore they avoid it a little bit. Not all of them, because some pastors come from business, and those are the pastors that recognize, hey, I, you can do ministry in the workplace. But it is being able to try to encourage them is such a huge. A huge thing, and, and and that's something I'm hoping someday God will reveal a great way to do it because pastors, um, they just need that encouragement to recognize that man, they got a whole congregation full of missionaries. It's just a cool deal. Well, I think unfortunately, there's so much of Christianity. If you're not careful, can be guided by tradition instead of by scripture. And throughout traditional, we look to people like pastors and all in in vocational ministry and being in full time ministry, and others is not. And just because that's been part of our tradition does not say it's been a biblical tradition. And that's why we have to be careful to always come back to Scripture. Now, wait a minute. Now, what does tradition say? What does Scripture say? Mm. Well, and, and that's I was starting to say right before the break that really that's what the Reformation was all about. And again, I learned I, I'm not a biblical scholar. I don't have a doctorate. I was so grateful to get my four-year degree when I walked out. Yes. I said, Lord, please don't make me ever go back. But but I so I was learning about the Reformation earlier this year, just really studying about you know what was Martin Luther really upset about, and it was about that whole hey uh, missionaries and pastors they got a high level calling and everybody else. Well, you uh, you don't have a calling, and you've got to uh, uh, you're you're supposed to send your money to those other guys, but you know what you do doesn't really matter to God. And and Martin Luther was saying, no, no, that's not true. And, and so again, we're at that same place again, educating pastors to recognize we all have a calling, and everything we do, we can do for the glory of the Lord. Yeah, and I think the the issue is showing it to them from Scripture. And having scripture direct their thoughts. Mm. Well, and the Holy Spirit, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as you as we get into the book, you start up. You say you say in the book, you say before we get started being a witness in a workplace, you encourage workplace believers to do several things to kind of prep themselves to be ready for it. And, and I love. We'll, we'll just start with. We're probably not. We won't get all these done before the top of the hour. But let's just start with them. Pray for open doors. You say you just, you start with them praying, as opposed to you know jumping up and doing anything. You say start. With the praying, I assume that at this point in time we're, we're 
we're assuming they already have a relationship with this person because they're working with them. Yes, and but nowhere in Scripture are you ever told to open the door for the gospel. Nowhere. What you're told to do is walk through the door he has opened. But your job is to walk through it. God's job is to open it. And so therefore, one thing you pray for is an open door, just like Paul says in Colossians 4.3, pray that God will give us an opportunity for the gospel. And Paul himself did it. And nowhere in Scripture are you told to open the door. That's something God has to do. Then once he opens it, then you can walk through it. But what do those open doors look like? How do we, how do we, I mean, that's really a big key. It's just like, you know, I pray open almost daily that, you know, for the Holy Spirit to, to, to use my ears so that I could hear him because he whispers and that I would listen and that I would obey. That, that's a process that I, I'm constantly learning every day to be able to hear him, especially in the noise. But that's what this is sort, sort of also like, pray for open doors and to recognize an open door. So describe a little bit, if you would, what an open door looks like. Well, as I explained in the book, uh, Jim, if someone's open to me as a person, I assume there's an open door for the gospel. If someone's open to me as a person, I assume there's an open door for the gospel. I'll take it one step at a time. And one thing I do is I start talking about secular things, their job, their background, their family, etc. And some way then, I turn the conversation to spiritual things. It might be a reference to church, to God, to religion, to the Bible, whatever. Now, as I do that, I'm looking at how they respond. And then they respond favorably. I take that to be an open door for the gospel. So what I do is simply, again, assume they're open to me as a person that's an open door for the gospel. I start talking about secular things, family, job, and background. And then I turn the conversation to personal things. Based on your response is what I determine if that's an open door of the gospel. Because if I proceed, you start interacting with me about things, a church you go to, or something like that, or a struggle you're having with God or the Bible, I assume that it's an open door for the gospel. And uh, that's how you recognize open doors. When you start talking to someone, and you find out there's an approachability. I call it approachability. Mm. I like approachability more than receptivity because that just nails it down better for me. But there's approachability. I assume that's an open door for the gospel. Well, and, and in the workplace that, that I've worked in, the workplaces that I have worked in, uh, insurance business, the used car business, the IT business, that what I, uh, in the employees that I had, what I looked for was a change in behavior. You know, I already had relationships with them. They already knew where I stood. But I looked in changes in behavior. It looked like, okay, they're having a bad day today or um, there's a sickness in the household or something's going on. And all of a sudden, I will just say, listen, what's going on? And, and start one of those heartfelt conversations to see if you can get them to be transparent with you and a little vulnerable. And then I always ask for that permission to pray with them. Uh, and that opens up the door to, hey, you know, can I get you to read the book of John? Can I get you, you know, because yes. we always get the conversation, you know, very few people have a problem with God. The idea of God, 80 or 90% of Americans believe in God. It's the Jesus factor that really delineates those that want to truly find out about God or not, because Jesus really, it, that's the differentiator. They believe in God, but yeah, I got a real problem with the whole Jesus being the only way kind of thing. That really mess, you know, that, that's the conversation you get to have. You start to open up those doors with that. And it's, and it's, it's a cool thing to do. I love just shoving that little secret weapon in there and letting them read the scriptures. Because then you let God do his work while they're reading that book of John, and you come back to them a few days later and go, hey, what'd you read? What'd you learn? And it's amazing. They can summarize it. I had somebody read it for me just recently before we had another conversation. They said, I said, what did you learn? You go, that Jesus uh, is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, and he rose from the dead. 
That's they summarized the gospel for me by reading the book of John. Because in the book of John, you got two choices. I'm sure you've probably used that method, but that to me was the method that I developed. I didn't. I don't write books, so. Yes, uh, but see, when someone's opened, like just like example you're using, I can make a reference to. I'll, I'll say a word of prayer for you, and I'd have to say I could sure use that. I take that to be an open door for the gospel, hmm. uh, and just like the example you gave. Uh, but there's a receptivity approachability there. I take that to be an open door for the gospel. And sometimes what you're doing in the workplace is just building bridges to then talk intensely about Christ outside of work over lunch or whatever. I tell people, you always got to be mindful the employer is paying you to work, not witness. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you got to be careful because at the same time you're trying to reach an employee, you could drive away the employer. Right. And sometimes it's the time of building a bridge so that after over lunch, after dinner, on a weekend, you can talk to them about Christ. <laughs> All right, so the first one is pray for open doors. We've just talked about that a lot, but we're, really we're just, we're open. The, the person is, approach. there's an approachability factor with the person. All right, so that's number one. Number two, you put in there, live as you should. Live as you should. And that's something that we need to be, a, in order to be a witness in the workplace, we need to live as we should. According to what standard? According to biblical standards. In other words, would God look at your life and say, I approve of what you're doing, I approve of, you know, you know the reason you're doing it. The God who knows the secrets of the heart, would he approve of what you're doing? It's not what man sees, what God sees. So that relates to motives, it relates to mannerisms, it relates to conduct, uh, everything. But why does that matter? Because if it's going to be hard to impress... Uh, Nietzsche was famous years ago for claiming God is dead. Show me, said, show me first that you're redeemed, and I'll listen to you talk about your Redeemer. And it's going to be hard to convince them of the Redeemer if they don't see some of the redemption in you. It doesn't say you're not a Christian because you can be a Christian I walk with the Lord. But it's sure going to be hard to impress you uh, with Christ if I'm not living a life. Just like, why would I hire a plumber to fix some plumbing problem in my house if he appears like he cannot hook two pipes together. Well, why would I be interested to talk to you about Christ if you don't show some authenticity about your life? Hmm. And that, so what does that look like in the workplace? Give me one example before we go to the top of the hour. I think the way you fill reports, it depends upon your job. Uh, when you fill reports, for example, for the employer, whether you exaggerate, whether you say what was done, what was not done, I think it relates to something honesty. Uh, if you're accountable for finances, that there's no reason for anybody to suspect anything. It all depends on your job. All right, listen, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get more into this conversation about how, show me how to share Christ in the workplace, but specifics. We're talking about pray for open doors, live as you should, and we're going to get into that and then speak as you should. That's next. We've been talking with Dr. Larry Moyer about his book, Show Me How to Share Christ in the Workplace. And before we get back to Dr. Moyer, it's time for our book highlight segment brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. Karis Christian Books and Gifts have been part of the Largo community for over 29 years. Located in the center of First Baptist Church, Church of Indian Rocks on Ulmerton Road in Largo. Their 2,400 square foot store is open to the public seven days a week. Check them out online at shopcaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S dot com. 
Be the first person to call into the studio line today at 855-265-2929, 855-265-2929, and I'll send you a copy of the book that we're highlighting today, complimentary of Dr. Larry Moyer. Hey, the book today is written by none other than our guest host, our guest today, Dr. Larry Moyer. The name of the book is Show Me How to Share the Christ in the Workplace. Whether they're turning workplace conversations into spiritual matters, answering questions of unbelieving co-workers, or just performing their jobs as a representative of Christ, readers readers of this book will be encouraged and equipped to present the gospel with clarity and simplicity. Written to encourage those in a workplace to see their jobs as their calling, How to Share Christ in a Workplace offers practical help and inspiration to influence non-Christians for Christ. Listen, great book by Dr. Larry Moyer. Call into the studio line now, 855-265-2929 to get a copy of the book. And remember, you got to read this book. Don't wait for the movie. All right, we're back live and in studio with Dr. Larry Moyer calling in from which I don't remember which part of the world you're calling him from today. Welcome back to the I Work for Him show, Larry. Okay. Yes. Which part of the world you're calling him from today? I can't even remember. I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't understand your question. Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. So is it, is it nice there today? Uh, yes, a little bit on the cool side, which we welcome. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, it's just muggy and hot in Florida, as always. It's one of those unbelievable things. All right, before the break, Larry, we're talking about, you say before we get started being a witness in a workplace, you encourage workplace believers to do several things. We talked about pray for open doors, and why? So that we can determine a person's approachability. Then you said live as you should, and this is how we finished the bottom half, the last half hour. Live as you should. And you said that because we can't be an effective witness if our witness and our work behaviors don't match up. If we don't look redeemed, they don't want to hear about our Redeemer. Talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Caution says, walk in common good sense for those that don't know the Lord, redeeming the time. That means buying up the opportunity. Look at moments of your life, at moments of your unsafe people in such a way that they say, whatever he has, I want it. Now, that means your politeness. That means the way you treat others, the way you'd want to be treated. It means, uh, you know, the, the way, again, you fill out reports, your honesty, your integrity. It means the way you talk about your wife, your children, your family. Uh, it, it may say, you know, what you look at moments of your life at moments of opportunity. Um, Napoleon one time said the reason he defeated the Austrians is because they never learned the value of five minutes. And so I bring out in the book, Learn the Value of Five Minutes. Look at your life in such a way that when people look at the way you conduct your business, the way you go about what you do, every little detail of your work, they say, boy, whatever he has, I want it. Uh, if somebody mistreats you, you don't mistreat them. If somebody, uh, you don't have an attitude of arrogance about you, you, you have an attitude of servant, a servant heart, humility, all that relates to how you live around say people. So powerful. It seems so obvious, yet I, I've run into a lot of workplace believers whose work is not consistent with their witness. And I just keep yeah. telling them, please don't tell people that you know Jesus. Please don't tell people that. Until you work yeah. on... Please, you're making it difficult for me. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, and, you're you're, making, and you're making me look bad because you're not... I mean, you, your behavior doesn't represent your Savior. Yes. If you try to cut corners, do things that you... 
behind the ball, sit back, you wouldn't do it to his face. All of that is not going to impress me with your being a Christian. Mm. And what's amazing... You may well be one, but you're not going to convince me of it. Right. And what's amazing is these kind of behaviors are pretty common no matter what the workplace, whether it's a church workplace or a used car workplace or whether it's a doctor's office or a regular office, you know, the Christians really struggling with having their witness be consistent with their Redeemer. To showing that they're redeemed so that you get an opportunity to talk about the Redeemer. That's a struggle. I mean, people really need to be encouraged with that each and every day. It's just like you know what Dave Ramsey talks about every day. Your checkbook should reflect your relationship with your Savior, too. That's another real struggle for people. Yes, exactly. You know, all that relates to, in other words, if my life is no different than any unsafe person's life, why should I come to Christ? You know, your life's no different than mine. I'm unhappy, you're unhappy. You cheat, I cheat. You're arrogant, I'm arrogant. Yeah, that's right. If, if your life doesn't offer anything different, what's the point? That's right. Okay, so you said pray for open doors, live as you should in the workplace, and then you said finally speak as you should. So what do you mean by that? Speak as you should. Okay, again, I go back to Colossians 4, and that's where a lot of the book is, is built around. It says your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. What that means is cultivate the gift of pleasant and graceful conversation. That you speak with grace, you speak with truth. You know, some people have truth, but they have no grace. Some have grace, but they have no truth. That what you have to do is, whatever you say will come from your lips, just like your life, ought to draw them close to the cross. Uh, that you, you have a uh, pleasantness about the way you speak. Cursing is not even an option. Uh, sarcasm is not an option. Ridicule is not an option. Instead, you speak with grace and truth in everything you say, and in so doing, uh, you cultivate a pleasant conversation that attracts people to Christ. Yes. You know, we have a saying, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but wars will never hurt me. And I, my answer is, they may not hurt you, but they may hurt the person you're speaking and the cause you represent. So choose what you say, don't say what you choose. Yeah, well, and that, that, that whole statement's been a lie all of our lives anyway. I mean, we, we learned that in the playgrounds in elementary school. Sticks and stones will break my bones. That names, names will never hurt me. But that's a lie because people do get hurt by names. And uh, I, I love your, you know, cursing's not an option. Sarcasm's not an option. I, I love that because we've got to stand out. We need to stand apart so that people go, hmm, there's something different about Larry. Hmm, there's something different about Jim. I want to know what it is because... What he's got is what I want. That's what we're trying to get people to say, correct? Yes, exactly. Exactly. What makes him different? Uh, and the way he talks and everything. When you walk in on a Monday morning, or you walk on a Friday morning, your language is no different than you're consistent. Consistency is a big deal in the way you speak and everything. That has a winsome thing to it. Mm, it's so powerful. So, you've you've been... <sighs> You've, you've seen these things put into practice, and you've seen some things, you're like, I'm sure you've seen both sides of it. People that are successful in putting these things in place in order to be a great witness, and people that have really struggled with this. I, what, what kind of encouragement, I mean, and just with these three steps, what kind of encouragement can you offer people that are really, they, hey, I want to be that person that has the opportunity to witness, but wow, what you just said, that's a lot. Well, uh, first of all, it started with the first steps, one step at a time, <laughs> and, and, and do what you know to be right. Take one step at a time, whether it be watching your life, watching the way you speak, whatever. And then one encouragement I give people, Jim, is learn how to share Christ, because you're not going to make an impact in the workplace if you don't know how to present the gospel. 
and we teach people very simple, bad news, good news approach that you use with anyone, anywhere. But you've got to be ready when the opportunity is there. And so if someone you find is really open to finding out how they can have an eternal relationship with Christ, how would you explain it to them? If you don't have a way to present the gospel, you're probably not going to do it. Right, I agree. Hey, we just got a text in from one of my listeners, a faithful listener and supporter of the I Work For Him show. Robert says, really? Why can't we use sarcasm in the workplace? Because sarcasm is not going to impress them because your tongue's controlling you, you're not controlling your tongue. When you're sarcastic, your tongue's controlling you, you're not controlling your tongue. And any unsafe person out there can be sarcastic. But if you refuse to be, then what's different about you? Sarcasm is no different than anyone out there. Well, my mom always said sarcasm is just another form of anger. It is. It actually is, Jim. Very much so. That's a good statement. And you're a, you've got a doctorate, so I know it's true, okay, because you, you totally agree with my mom, and my mom's got a master's, so at least, you know, you guys are way smarter than me. All right, so here's the question for you. We, we've talked about all the, the things we need to set up the right environment so we can share our faith. Pray for open doors, live as you should, and speak as you should. You know, but that opportunity to share Christ in a workplace is foreboding to most to a lot of people. I mean, it, it gets very intimidating. But you, meant, you mentioned that we should know what is essential to sharing our faith. So, you know, besides, here, and here's my comment before you share those essentials from your book. I always tell people, listen, the biggest thing you got to do is you, to share how Christ has made an impact on your life and the reason for that is they can't ever refute what Christ has done in your life. But it's important to be able to communicate the gospel clearly and simply. So what are those essentials in sharing your faith that you've got in your book? Uh, first of all, you have to know what the gospel is. You cannot communicate the gospel if you don't know what it is. The Bible is 66 books. The gospel is 10 words. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. You don't have to know the Bible of Angelic. You have to know the gospel. And again, the gospel is Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. Secondly, you have to know what faith means. Faith means to trust in Christ alone as your only way to heaven. You come to God as a sinner, recognize Christ died and rose, and trust in Christ alone. Not Christ plus your good life for your church attendance, but Christ alone. Then the third thing is you've got to have a method to share that. And when you know what the gospel is, you know what faith is. To trust in Christ alone, and you have a method. You can talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Hmm. Okay, so I like that. All right, so... Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's pretty simple. I mean, that you know, you're putting in ten words. That that's that's pretty incredible. But a lot of people want to know more. I love drawing the little diagram. You know, I'm a di- I'm a visual kind of guy. But I lo- actually, I'm a I'm a visual guy. But I'm not much of an artist. But I love drawing the big chasm with the two with the two cliffs on either side and the fact that we no matter what we do, we can't jump across that chasm on our own to God. And that we that we needed Christ in order to be able to accomplish that, and to be able to put the cross in the middle of that—that's just a great thing. All right. So, right. when you the encouragement to people to be able to study this and to understand—that's not even that because people like to make it too complicated, don't they? Yes. And the longer they are Christian, the more complicated they make it, and they end up sharing the Bible, not the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, and. Yeah, I, I, keeping it simple. Why is keeping the message of the gospel so keeping it simple? Why is that so important? Because you have to remember they're unsaved. Uh, they don't have the foggiest idea of the things that you know. And I don't have to know how to live the Christian life. I have to know how to enter the Christian life. Once I know how to enter it, then you can help me learn how to live it through discipling me, through follow up, and everything. But don't try to go too far too fast. First, teach them how to enter the Christian life. Then through discipleship, teach them how to live it. 
Mm. I love that. Nice. And if you, if you make it too complicated, before long, Jim, what happens is, I'm talking about how to love your wife, how to raise your children, how to spend your money. Everything but what they need to know right now. What I need to know right now, if I'm unsafe, is not how to spend my money, how to raise my children, how to treat my wife. Is how do I come to Christ personally? Then once I come to Him, that He can help me learn how to raise my children, treat my wife, spend my money. Okay, you've written a book about it. You've been a pastor. You've got a doctorate. Have you ever crashed and burned sharing your faith? Uh, let me come back with the question. What do you mean by crash and burn? Well, okay. Um, stumbled all over yourself. Got really nervous. Started to sweat. Um, you know, just felt like, wow, that just didn't go very well. Yes, and there's two things God uses to teach you. Mistakes and experience. And they both go together. And by mistakes and experience... The sweating of the palms, etc., falling on your, you know, making a foolish mistake, whatever. That's how God teaches you. But He's a God of grace. He's not beating you up for that. He just teaches you through those experiences. And so I tell people, I know a lot more about sharing Christ today than I knew last year, because I've done a lot more than last year. Mm, that's fantastic. You're one person wiser every time you share Christ. <laughs> that's for sure and, and that's really you're, you're right you got to put it into practice and, and you do get nervous but it comes a lot easier boy sharing your faith just being bold with it it's just so much easier and, and, it, and I would agree it just came from just recognizing I'm not going to argue anybody ever into the kingdom of God never going to argue no. with them so, but if I just got to just tell them the truth and ask if I can pray with them share the gospel truth it's the simple the simple part of it. But really to make sure they understand, it's not about God. I mean, it is about God. It's a relationship with our Heavenly Father, but it's made possible by Jesus, and they need to understand the Jesus factor. Because a lot of them are willing, they're willing to bypass it. Like, well, I'm okay with God. It's the, it's the Jesus delineation that really starts to, it's a, it's a divisive factor. We told many people, there's not one verse in the Bible that says, bring the lost to Christ. Not one verse. The Bible says, bring Christ to the lost. Your job presentation, his job persuasion. And people say, wow, I never thought about that. You know, your job is to bring Christ to people. Your job is not to bring people to Christ. Only God can do that. Hmm. And therefore, I might be the fourth of 15 God's going to use, the fifth of 19. He gets excited from the 18th of 18. <laughs> but uh, maybe one person along the way. Mm. Bringing Christ to people, that's very, very good. All right, so do you have, even tell, let's talk a little bit about your ministry as we close out the show. Do you specifically go to places and teach people how to do this in their workplace, or how do, how do you, what's, how does your training work? Yeah, Evantel, uh, everything we do is evangelizing and training others. We train people in four areas, the academic, the church, uh, community groups like Franks Resource Centers and Disaster Relief, and then the workplace. And we actually go into workplaces like over noon hour and teach Christian employees uh, how to share Christ in the workplace. We have a seminar we give that can be printed over the noon hour. And uh, we have teaching online. They can go online at Vanto.org. They can get free training how to share Christ workplace online on our website. Mm. And what have you seen as a result of that? Have you ever gone back to a, a, a business owner and say, okay, listen, we were back there a year ago. What kind of an impact has that made on your workplace? Uh, the people come back and say, I led my first person to Christ. I never thought I could do it. And that's one of the most common things. Why I, I used to not talk to nobody, anybody, now I talk to everybody. Mm. Because they've overcome their two problems, fear not knowing how. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. The fear and not knowing how. And the not knowing how is not as complicated as people really think. I mean, that's the issue. Yes. 
is that people try to make it so complicated. Wow, it's it's one of those things. Larry, what a great conversation. i got to start closing out the show, but I want to thank you for just investing in Christ followers across the nation with this book and encouraging people and just giving them practical things, the practical, the tactical. We've talked about the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical today because really that's what we need to do. We just need to keep it simple and just recognize that our lives are a great witness and it has opened up the doors and just to recognize that approachability and then to just to share from our hearts. All right, on, tom- on tomorrow night's I Work For Him show, I'll be sharing all about Business His Way and the rollout of more Business His Way groups across Tampa Bay starting in January of 2015. Hey, you know, the I Work For Him show is all about purposefully equipping vibrantly effective Christ followers in the workplace. So I want you to ask yourself, are you a Christ follower? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you've allowed Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life? And if you want to know more about becoming a Christ follower, I really want you to email me, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iworkforhim.com. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.